This is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. Just about four months into this very unusual time in education uh, and in life, actually, um, and I'm tired. I uh, just worn out like lots of you. I'm, I'm not complaining particularly. I'm still working. I have a, a good job that makes a difference in the world, and and I'm trying to do things for students. But uh, all this scenario planning and then re-scenario planning and having to figure out things we've never figured out before, uh, I, I'm tired. And I, I'm just sharing that because I think sometimes other folks are too and think they're not supposed to say so. Um, like most of you, I've been thinking about the pandemic kind of nonstop uh, since it started. And I think in terms of how it relates to uh, what I call poverty-informed practice has been weighing heavily on my mind lately uh, as we head into this most uncertain fall. And I worry about who really gets left behind. Um, and so I was looking through things I've written. And apparently I was thinking about these things in April as well. Uh, so today I'd like to share something I wrote on April 12th, um, thinking about what comes after this. It's a piece called Poverty Informed Practice in Higher Education. It has to be different after this. This pandemic has completely exposed the kind of inequity colleges like mine have been trying to mitigate since their creation. But even for practitioners like me, the reality of all this has been hard to see. I think sometimes we work so hard trying to make a difference, we blind ourselves to the simple unfairness of the situation. The kind of Horatio Alger myths we assign to our students and staff overcoming obstacles, well, those myths are being tested and exposed in ways they never have during my career. Now make no mistake, there are remarkable things happening at colleges across the country and there are students doing amazing things in difficult to impossible situations. But should they have to? Does it need to be that way? It makes me think of a quote from a Rhodes Scholar named Hazim Hardiman uh, who came from North Philadelphia, worked his way through community college and through Temple University. And when they wrote stories about all the things that he had done, the quote I read was Hazim saying, don't be happy for me that I overcame these barriers. Be mad as hell that they exist in the first place. That has really stuck with me. I think we can choose more wisely on the other side of this pandemic. I really do. I think we must. Let me try to explain kind of the contrast I see because it starts just down the hall from me. I know a college student quite well who had to leave her state university residential campus and not return during the spring. She lives in my house, actually. Now, before you assume I'm taking in wayward students, you should know it's my daughter. And she moved back to her childhood bedroom from her dorm in the middle of her second semester of her freshman year. I suppose it was inconvenient for her, and I'm sure she was sad because her college experience was interrupted. But here's reality. She's mostly fine. She's living in the house she grew up in. Her bedroom is larger than the dorm room she shared at her university. She has a new Surface tablet she purchased this fall because her laptop wasn't making the grade. 
and she has the fastest internet the local provider has. She always has, by the way. The refrigerator is full of food the semester is paid for, and she doesn't have any need to get a job right now to help with costs. She's anxious because all of her classes are suddenly online and a lot of her teachers aren't really prepared either. But in all honesty, in the big picture, she's fine. The contrast to other students I know is striking. I've spent most of the last month trying to make the best of this bad situation for the students I serve. Of course, my college also serves students like my daughter, but the stories I'm hearing are of adult students with children and trying to do online courses and homeschool on the one device in their home or on their phones. Or I hear stories of homes with poor or no internet access. Now, at Minnesota State College Southeast, we're aware of who we serve, so we worked hard to keep our computer labs open and as safe as possible. But the comparison to the student who lives in my house is bothering me every day. Our small college with limited resources does everything it can to provide access to physically distanced computers for students who are able to travel to campus. I know some colleges have given devices to students who are without. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the resources to do that. It's a bit of a cliche at this point to say community and technical colleges lack necessary funding, but it's become even more clear in recent weeks. I think of students who are homebound and alone and the contrast to my daughter runs deeper. I listen to stories of students who are working more hours during this pandemic because they don't know what the future holds. I've met multiple students this year who were living in cars at some point. What's happening to them? Did they stay in class? Can they? How do we even pretend their opportunities are equitable in any way to the young person living in her bedroom in my house? Now for the record, I love my daughter and I'm glad she has the things she has and the opportunity those things bring. Where it falls apart for me is if anyone has any sense that she deserves this and the other students I know don't. It just isn't true. My daughter has what she has simply through an accident of birth and a pile of privilege. She's talented and bright, but no more bright and talented than students I've been meeting for years who have much less. We must acknowledge the inequity of where people start. And if we're interested in bringing out the potential in everyone, we need to start leveling the playing field. These are choices. We like to pretend they aren't, but they are. I truly believe there's enough to provide opportunity for all. We just have to decide there is and act accordingly. If not, we need to openly acknowledge that we choose to have different levels of opportunity for people based on who they were born to and where. We know this is true, but I believe if we force people to see it and say it, we will be motivated to change it. My college returned in full distance learning mode two weeks ago, and my faculty are telling me about students they cannot make contact with no matter how they try. It hurts my soul to know we might lose some of our most vulnerable students when they need us most. It hurts my soul when the best solution for students is to boost the Wi-Fi so it's accessible outside of buildings and in parking ramps so they can do work in their cars. I'm proud of all of us for finding these solutions, but we cannot celebrate them and pretend they create equity. They are a band-aid on a system that feels irretrievably broken to me. 
We cannot let charity be a substitute for justice or a moral safety valve. We must do the best we can while acknowledging, as my friend and hero Dr. Russell Lowry Hart says, we aren't doing enough. We have to do more. So I'll admit, I'm not a lot of fun when I see social media posts from families like mine celebrating the joy in simple things and the opportunity this quarantine has given us to connect to what matters. I understand where that sentiment comes from, but please don't let isolation cause you to look inward only. I wonder how different all this would look if we shifted from protecting what we have to worrying about those who have nothing. All the inequity this pandemic has laid bare was caused by choices we make about how we run our society. That means we can choose differently. We have to choose differently, don't we?